God, I thank you that the weak are made strong and in your love, the Savior, the cornerstone. Lord, thank you for that. We worship you this morning. Amen. So, Lord Jesus, help us to preach. Amen. I don't, I don't know about you, but... I need to say that I'm just appalled at the state of the secular media in our society today. So appalled that I don't think I'm gonna watch it anymore. I mean, this past week I turned on the television and the newsmen, Brian Williams and Lester Holt, they were just spouting nonsense. I mean, they were making, they were making no sense and when they did make sense, the sense was self-serving and braggadocious. They both undermined the sacred institution of marriage and openly advocated salation sexual mores. This is not good news, but terrible news. Just, just watch, you'll see what I mean. I said a hip hop, the hipping, the hipping to the hip hip hop. You don't stop the rocket to the bang bang. Rookie say up, jump the bookie to the rhythm of the bookie, the beat. Now what you hear is not a test. I'm rapping to the beat. And me, the groove, and my friends are gonna try to groove your feet. See, I am wonder white, and I'd like to say hello to the black, to the white, the red, and the brown, the purple, and the yellow. But first, I gotta bang bang the bookie to the bookie say up, jump the bookie to the bang. Let's rock. You don't stop. Rock the rhythm that will make your body rock. Well, so far, you've heard my voice, but I brought two friends along. And next on the mic is my man, Hank. Come on, Hank, sing that song. Check it out. I'm the C.A. Sam Will B. And the West is F.L. Live. You see, I go by the code of the doctor of the next of these reasons. I'll tell you why. You see, I six foot one, and it turns up on, and I dress to a teen. You see, I got more clothes than Muhammad. All me, and I dress so viciously. Everybody go, hotel, motel. What are you gonna do today? Say what? Because I'm a head of line girl, and I get some spanking dry off, and I get no jail. Everybody go, hotel, motel, holiday, in. Say, if you're a girl starts acting up, then you take her friend. You see, Brian Williams and Lester Holt actually said those words. The, our, our video was a little, but they, they actually said those words. So I'm going to stop watching the news. Have you ever stopped reading your Bible? Maybe you think to yourself, nonsense. It makes no sense. I mean, maybe you get past the new na two naked people and, and the weird funky tree in the middle of the garden. Maybe, maybe make it all the way to, to Leviticus, but you just get bogged down in pages and pages of detailed descriptions on how to sacrifice a goat or, or a sheep. And so you think it makes no sense. Or you think this makes terrifying sense for God appears to be self-serving, braggadocious, and, and just downright mean. I mean, he sends this bizarre God-man who calls down fire to consume the city of Sodom, Gomorrah. He calls Joshua to commit what we would clearly call genocide against Canaanite towns like Jericho. He even tells slaves to obey their masters. So maybe you think the Bible makes no sense. Or terrifying sense or maybe even evil sense you know the bible's been used to justify just about every manner of evil that you could imagine 
So maybe you cannot make sense of the Bible and the sense you do make or that others have made just seems to be evil. But you know, maybe what's been done to the Bible is a little like what was done to Brian Williams and Lester Holt by Jimmy Fallon on The Tonight Show. Brian Williams and Lester Holt, actually, they actually said those words. And I believe the God-man really did call down fire on Sodom. And Joshua really did commit karam. He, he devoted Canaanites to the Lord in consuming fire. So Brian Williams and Lester Holt actually said those words, but we entirely missed their meaning. They hit those notes, but that was not their song. The Bible says those things, but maybe we've entirely missed its meaning and have not yet truly heard its song. So, so how do you make sense of the Bible? Some think it, it has to do, the key is all about understanding its principles, the, the principles. They think the Bible is, you know, God's little instruction book. So if you learn the principles and apply those principles, everything will work out. Politicians love this idea because you can legislate that stuff. You see, the Bible refers to this stuff as law. The Bible contains law, but it also says the power of sin is the law. So many say the key to understanding the Bible is like secret knowledge with which, you know, you can crack its code, like the Bible code. You, you can find all sorts of books on numerology in, in, in the Bible, secret codes hidden in, in the Bible, in the text. A, a lot of end times books subscribe to this idea. Secret codes embedded in prophecy. And so they postulate about the identity of the Antichrist and the date of Christ's return. And for 2,000 years, pretty much all of them have been wrong. The Bible contains law. It certainly contains prophecy. And I believe it's all true, but, but what does it mean? Some think the key to making sense of the Bible is scholarship. And that certainly is helpful for the Bible was written over thousands of years in three ancient languages by a multitude of authors in a multitude of cultures containing a multitude of literary, literary genres. And, and as we preached a, a few weeks ago, and this is kind of strange, but the Bible claims that Jesus is the word of God. So, so the word of God is not a book, and yet the Bible also claims that it itself is an accurate written record of God's word. Jesus himself said the writings or scripture cannot be broken, that scripture cannot be broken that was written in all these words and languages and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, so understanding the Bible obviously requires some intense and serious scholarship. Languages, church history, exegesis, hermeneutics, textual criticism, systematic theology, and yet the Bible testifies that it was the Bible scholars, not pagans and tax collectors and prostitutes. It was the Bible scholars that had Jesus nailed to a tree according to their law as the prophets had predicted. It was Bible scholars that crucified the word of God. So how do we make sense of the Bible? Because we all feel this need for sense. 
We all feel this need for meaning, for reason, for logos. That's how you'd say it in, in the Greek. Leslie Weatherhead used to tell uh, a story that I think is one of the most insightful stories I ever heard. It's a true story about one morning during the Luftwaffe bombings, bombings in, in World War II in London. He, he said he went for a walk early in the morning to survey the damage from the night before. And as he was walking, he found a young boy sitting on a pile of rubble. His face was covered in soot and streaked with tears. He, he bent down and he said to the boy, son, where, where's your mother and your father? All dead, sir. He inquired as to friends and relatives. All dead, sir. And then he bent down and he, he, he looked a little boy in the face and he said, Son, who are you? And the little boy replied, I ain't nobody. Nothing. You see, his life made no sense, for he had lost his story. His story told him who he was. It included principles and laws laid down by his parents. Um, it included promises and, and prophecies, prophecies of summer vacation at the beach. It, it was like a song. I'm sure his mother used to sing to him certain songs that only they knew. My wife Susan used to sing a song to me and the kids almost every night. I love you, a bushel and a peck, a bushel and a peck, and a hug around the neck, a hug around the neck, and a bushel and a peck. See, the song communicated the meaning of the story that she was writing in our lives. And, and you know, stories communicate persons. That's why when you meet people, you, you say to people, well, um, tell me your story. Well, this little boy had lost his story. And now his life had no meaning. It made no sense. And, and we're all a little bit like that orphan boy, aren't we? Something absolutely horrid has happened and we feel like we've lost our story and we need a story to make sense of our lives. Well, I'd like to read a story. I'd like us to read a story this morning of two men that had just lost their story and felt like nobody, nothing. And scripture at this point made absolutely no sense. It's a Sunday afternoon and the Friday before their faith, hope and love, their story had literally been nailed to a tree that we call a cross. Luke chapter 24 verse 13. That very day, too, two disciples that we really know hardly anything about. We'll, we'll learn one of their names, but they could be anybody, okay, these two disciples. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing or disputing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. 
but their eyes were kept from recognizing him, kept as if blindness has a purpose. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? You think really that Jesus does not know? Well, anyway, he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company, well, they, they amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a, a vision, a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they didn't see. And then Jesus said to them, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, the, the law, and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. He makes sense of all scripture. He is the sense. He is the logos. He's the reason. He's the melody. He's the plot. You know, the plot gives meaning to every event in a story. Like the melody turns notes into a song. All creation is a story that God is telling with his word. And the Bible is the record of the story of the revelation of the plot. The, the plot is God's word. The plot is a person, and he exegetes his own story. And he said, well, that's just great for them. But really cool, but like, where is he today? Well, he said, lo, I am with you always. Why don't we see him? Well, maybe our eyes are, are kept from seeing him. Oh, come on. I mean, Cleopas and that other dude, they saw his body. Where's his body? Let's keep reading. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going to go further, but they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, literally abide with us. It means remain with us. For it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to abide with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Where do you suppose he went? 
Well, anyway, he vanished from their sight. They, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord is risen indeed, and he's appeared to Simon. Peter was right. He's appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Well, Cleopas and his companion did not make sense of the Bible. But Jesus himself used the Bible to make sense of Cleopas and his friend. In other words, they didn't apply the Bible to their lives, but Jesus used the Bible to apply them to his life. So the question is not, how do I apply the word of God to my life, the question must be, how does the word of God apply me to his life using scripture? Now, I don't want to get too esoteric and all kung fu on you, grasshopper. So let's just take a look at it and, and ask, how, how did it happen? Let's just see how it happened. And I'd like to make a few points, okay? So number one, it happened while they were walking. Don't leave the scripture in school or in a, in a church building. Take it, take it walking. It didn't happen in school or, or a church building. They took it walking. But if you never read it, if you never study it, if you never memorize it, it's rather hard to take walking. So I hope you make time to study the scripture. I mean, to, to maybe go to school a little bit or to go to church a little bit and, and study it, but, but take it walking. I hope you make time to study scripture and place it on your heart. A rabbi was asked by a, a pupil of his, a student, he was asked a question regarding Deuteronomy 6.6, which says, and these words which I command thee this day shall be upon thy heart. The student said to the rabbi, why is it said that way, that the words shall be upon our heart? Why instead does it not say place the word in your heart? And the great rabbi said, well, it is not within the power of mortal man to place the word of God within his heart. And so instead, we must place the word on the surface of our heart. And then when the heart breaks, the word drops in. The hearts of these two disciples were broken. And Jesus, the living word, the great farmer, dropped his seed into the most fertile of soil. You know, St. Paul tells us that we are God's field. And the most fertile soil is a broken and dirty field, a broken heart. So number two, it often happens in the place of disappointment. That is the place that your dreams die. <laughs> the place you lose your life. Think about these two. They say, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. They had hoped that Jesus would establish the nation state of Israel and drive out the Romans. They had a very worldly sort of hope. A lot like a lot of Christians and Jews to this day. But, but these guys, well, they had just watched their hope get crucified. They had just watched their dream die. St. Paul wrote, hope will not disappoint us. Hope abides. So, so, so hope wasn't wasted. It, it would rise from the dead. But you see, there was a problem with their hope. There was a problem with their dreams. 
The problem was not that their dreams were too large, but far too small. You have to lose your life to find it. You have to lose your dreams to find your dream. You see, Jesus doesn't only redeem the little nation state of Israel. Jesus redeems all creation. And yet his kingdom does begin with a seed that is sown in the soil of a broken heart. And he will break it. Jeremiah 23 19, is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the stone in pieces. So we have stone hearts. And Jesus, the living word, cracks them open to implant himself the eternal and promised seed. Number three, it often happens in the place of confusion and doubt. So number four, it happens through questions. Remember, Jesus is the word. Jesus is the God-man. It was Jesus that wrestled Jacob into Israel at the river Jabbok on the edge of the promised land. Remember, Jesus will wrestle with you and he'll use the Bible to do it. In other words, Jesus will create questions and ask those questions. If you engage the scripture in Jesus' name, expect to be blessed, but also expect to walk with a limp. Jesus will make us wrestle with him, and he is the truth. So if anyone ever says to you, don't ask questions, just have faith. We see that person does not have very much faith in the truth, who is Jesus. He said, seek. What does that mean? Well, it means seek what? Seek, seek the truth. Ask questions about the truth. He said, seek and you will find. I suspect that Jesus will make you ask questions in the very place that your old dream died in order that you might see him risen from the dead in that very same place. He says, what are you guys talking about? He, he walks these guys right into their deepest doubt and sorrow. He says, tell me about these things. So they tell him about these strange women and this vision that they had. So that's number five. Pay attention to strange women and visions. Because <laughs> seriously, Jesus will create question, questions in you with strange women's and, and visions. I mean, that's certainly been my experience. And then they tell Jesus, they tell Jesus how some of them conducted empirical research. They went to the tomb and they found the tomb to be empty. So that's number six. Pay attention to science. That is empirical evidence in this physical world. You know, we modern people did not invent science. That's such a stupid idea. People have been doing science for thousands of years and God doesn't hate science. He created it. Why? Well, I think to make us ask questions. Pay attention to visions, science, and number seven, travelers on the road. Jesus is asking these questions in the form of a fellow traveler on the road. When people ask questions, pay attention. It could be your kids. It could be people in your small group. It could be your nosy neighbor. You know, Jesus is very sneaky. We have underestimated his sneakiness. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the word of God uses an ass. So pay attention to fellow travelers on the road. Number eight, Pay attention to heartburn. If God is a person and he made you for him, perhaps this is the best evidence for the validity of his word. That it, that it finds a place in you. 
that you want it, that your heart burns for it, that you desire it, that you hope. How, how do you know that the word of God is true? Well, how do you know that a sunrise is beautiful? It finds a place in you, as Jesus would say it. It is self-attesting, as theologians and philosophers would say it. Cleopas and his friend would say, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened to us the scripture? Pay attention to heartburn on the road and in scripture. You know, on the road you'll see a sunrise, or you hear a song, or your kids will say something, and, and your heart will, will like jump. Maybe you can't sleep. It's, it's late at night. So you get up, you go downstairs to watch TV. Not that I would ever do this, but maybe I do. And, and, and you're looking at it, you can't find anything on TV, and you end up watching the old movie E.T. E.T. has descended into our world from another world. Remember, right? Remember that? And in him is life. Adults can't understand him, so what do they do? They dissect him to gain his power. But children, they love him and thus know him and thus enter into his world, into his kingdom. He dies, and then he lives. His heart burns with light, then as he leaves, leaves our world and ascends to the heavens, he touches Elliot on the forehead with his finger and says, I'll be right here. <laughs> and you start weeping on the couch, in the dark, and you don't know why. Pay attention to that. More than just Steven Spielberg is speaking to you. Pay attention to your own heart burning with faith, hope, and love. Now, now, open the scripture. Anything familiar? Any stories look familiar? Where does your heart burn? Let it burn. Why don't we let it burn? Why don't we pay more attention to that heartburn? Isn't it because it scares us? Isn't it because we've hoped and then we wash us, our hope was crucified? And now we're afraid to hope we're afraid to hope again because hope burns. But number nine, don't be slow of heart. Jesus said, oh, foolish. It, literally in the Greek, it means mind, oh, mindless ones. <laughs> and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You know, the principalities and the powers of this world, they teach us to be slow of heart. That's how they control us. They teach us to be slow of heart. But love hopes all things, bears all things, believes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Sometimes I fear that I put too much hope in the love of God. You know that I've overestimated the love of God. Is that possible? That, that you'll get to heaven and you'll stand before the throne and God will look down upon you and say, now, I know that Peter said that I was like super duper mega loving, that I was super duper loving, but actually I'm only kinda loving. Sorry to disappoint you. Is that possible? God is love. Are you slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken? 
42 times the prophets say the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. His love does not cease. His mercies are new every morning. Moses writes, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Isaiah says, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall swear allegiance, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of the Lord, and all flesh shall uh, come and worship before him. Jeremiah says this, God will not be angry forever, and the valley of dry bodies, the valley of uh, dead bodies, that's Gehenna will be holy inside the new Jerusalem. Ezekiel tells us that the son of man prophesies in the dry bones, the dry bones will live. He'll prophesy to the dry bones and that Sodom will be restored. Zephaniah says all the people will call on him. In the Psalms, David says all the ends of the earth shall uh, turn to the Lord and before him, Jesus even quotes this Psalm on the cross, before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. And Peter preaches in Acts 3 that the prophets prophesied a time when God would restore all things. And the greatest prophet of all, Jesus, from this throne says, look, behold, I make all things new. Foolish and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Understand, he did not ex- say, explain all that the prophets have spoken, but believe all all that the prophets have spoken. Scripture testifies, 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God find their yes in him. In him, it is always yes. In Jesus, which means God is salvation. Are you slow of heart to believe? Jesus. So Jesus asked these guys, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter his glory. Suffering, then glory. That's the plot. That's the plot of scripture and all creation. The plot gives meaning to every event in a story. The plot takes chaos and turns it into order. Like a melody takes notes and words and turns them into a song, the plot makes sense of every person and thing in the story. And a good plot makes good sense. So number 10, don't avoid the frightening places on your road and in scripture. Don't be afraid to go there. You know, Jesus took these guys right back to the cross where they witnessed the Messiah nailed to the tree, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where they witnessed hell swallow up the king of heaven. But the very place of greatest suffering, indeed, the very place of all suffering was about to be revealed as the source of all joy. For this is the plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, to reconcile all things to himself, making peace by the blood of his cross, writes Paul. That's the plot, that's the plot for all things. So don't be afraid to go to the most frightening places on your road with scripture. And of course, the most frightening place on anyone's road is their own sin, their own shame. Don't be afraid to go there. The Savior is most glorified where you most need saving. And the only way to get to Easter 
is by the hill of the cross. You can't enter God's story without surrendering your story, but when you lose your story, you find it. You see, we get everything back with new meaning. The orphan gets his dad back, but not just his dad. He gets the father, God the father, as his father. Once we get the plot, we get all things with him. So walk into the frightening places on on your road with Scripture and walk into the frightening places in Scripture because you know the plot. Maybe you you don't read Scripture because you don't trust the plot. And Jesus is the plot. Jesus is what the Bible means. If you know the plot, you don't stop reading Dumbo when you find out that his ears are too big. You say, Dumbo, have hope. Your shame will turn into your glory. Sleeping beauty, have hope. You're not cursed forever, but you will wake to love's first kiss. Cinderella, you're not nobody nothing. You only think you're nobody nothing. So you'll forever enjoy being somebody something. You'll keep reading if you trust the plot. Maybe you don't read scripture because you don't trust the plot. Maybe someone or something has tried to crucify the plot. That is, nail it down, chop, chop it up, uh, change its meaning. Well, that would be like taking news clips, you know, and editing those news clips so the newsman's word had a different meaning, like same words but an entirely different song. Did you know that in Revelation 5, John sees every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is within them praising the Lamb on the throne? They're all singing the same song. They're singing to Jesus. He's the plot to every story. And everything is his story. He's the melody and rhythm of the eternal song. He's the word of God, the plot. We have all crucified the plot in order to write our own stories. And the plot rose from the dead and wrote us all into his story, and that's the story of God's plot. You see, God wants you to trust his plot so you would want him to write your story. Jesus is the plot. So you can surrender every moment in your life because Jesus is the plot, and you can read every verse in Scripture because Jesus is the plot. So Jesus says, Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the Scripture the things concerning himself. You know he's called the ultimate Adam. You know he was crucified on a tree of knowledge that became a tree of life. You know he is the God-man, and and I think he went to Sodom. He said he came to cast fire upon the earth, and would that it were already kindled. And the prophets teach, Sodom, Sodom will be restored. And you know, Jesus is English for the word Joshua. He devotes all men to God in or with who is the consuming fire. He's our scapegoat. He's our sacrificial lamb. 
He is the master who turns himself into a slave and causes, calls, calls us all to become slaves with him. He fully fulfills all the law and all the prophets. And I'm just pointing to a few examples. You see? He's the plot. And when you trust the plot, the most terrifying, hopeless places become the most hopeful and exciting places. I mean, Good Friday becomes Easter. <laughs> That's the plot. Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead. That's the plot. Number 11, ask Jesus to show you Jesus. He's the plot. Verse 27, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You, you know, in all, all my house, I, I have like thousands of books. But in all my house, maybe second to the Bible, of which I can buy another copy of, um, this is the most sacred literature in my house. I keep it on a shelf in my, in my office. In the past, um, I, I've used them, if you've been around, I've used them extensively to illustrate the Bible. You see, these are a collection of, of letters written to me by my girlfriend, Susan, when we were freshmen in college, separated by 300 miles and our hearts were breaking. Some letters are happy. Some letters are sad and stained with tears. There's fear, longing, shame, grace. There's wrath in those letters. There's poetry and prose. There's history. There's even some law and some prophecy, specifically Philemon 1.15. Perhaps this is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. <laughs> well, all tied together like this with a ribbon, they tell a story. And Susan's heart is the plot. They wouldn't mean much to you. <laughs> Probably throw them away. They wouldn't mean much to you, but they're life to me because they're, they're addressed to me. Peter Hyatt, 216, Arnett Hall, Boulder, Colorado, 80309. They're addressed to me. And you know, the Bible is addressed to you, children of God, bride of Christ. Jesus, from the bosom of the Father, is the plot, and he's not a dead plot. You know, the key to understanding Susan's letters was Susan. I knew her, and I could call her and say, what did you mean in, in your letter? Susan's heart was the plot, and she made sense of all the letters. I, I studied the letters. I mean, I really did. I memorized the letters. I'd lie uh, awake at night on my bed, staring at the ceiling, pondering the letters. And no one told me that I had to do it. No one told me I had to do it. I'd fallen in love with the plot. Her heart was the song. And check this out. Not once, not once did I sit down and ask this question. How can I apply these letters to my life? <laughs> but I tell you what. She used the letters to apply me to her life. Within three years, I begged her to be my plot. She had become my song. 
I begged her to enter into a covenant with me, to abide with me and commune with me. Within four years, the pastor pronounced husband and wife. Two became one flesh, and that is the manner in which she applied me to her life. My story became her story, and her story became my story, and our story is his story, and he's the plot. Well, anyway. Jesus revealed himself to these two guys in all the writings, and then verse 29, they begged him to abide with them. That's number 12, invite Jesus in. They invite Jesus in to commune with them, and check this out, the, the guest becomes the host. Quite literally, verse 30, when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Where'd he go? Where's his body? Well, Cleopas and his friend run back to Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and tell the 11 disciples, good news, it's all good. Jesus is risen from the dead. Verse 36, as they're talking, Jesus himself stands among them and says, peace, shalom, Jerusalem, city of peace. So check this out. They left old Jerusalem on their journey and they came back to the new Jerusalem. They left the city that crucified the word and returned to the city in which the living word did abide. And did you notice this? These two no-name disciples are not nobody nothing. They're somebody something. And did you notice they not only understand the scripture, well, gosh, they actually became the scripture. And did you notice their story has become his story and his story is our story and we're not nobody, we're Christ's body. We're not nothing, that's not nothing, that's something. His father, Jesus' father is our father and we inherit all things. And did you notice they did not make sense of God's word. God's word made sense of them. They did not apply the word of God to their lives. The word of God applied them to his life with a word, his word. They are Christ's body, created in the image of God with a word. And so he took the bread and blessed and broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take it, eat it. And in the same manner, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the covenant in my blood. Drink of it, all of you. So just pray this with me. Jesus, um, would you come in and abide with us? Abide with me. And now come to the table, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup. Dark cups are wine, light cups are juice. And let him apply you to his life. Let's worship. So thank you, Father, 
Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And so may you not stop living your life. May you not stop reading the text. Why? Because you know the plot. And where is he? Well, I just saw you eat him. You ingested him into your body so that your body became his body and he's walking with you on this journey from the old Jerusalem to the new Jerusalem. So have hope. Let your heart burn. Just keep walking. And now, uh, before we go, I need to say there should have probably been a number 13. Um, didn't quite know how to fit, fit it in, but, but I want uh, to mention this too before you go. Number 13, it happened in community. Did you know it, notice that? The two guys were out there on the road disputing, talking about stuff, going, what the heck, what's that about? And, and then Jesus shows up and he starts uh, talking to him. Well, um, it also happens in community with us and that's why um, we have small groups and Andrew's pulling together small groups. We hope you're in a small group. A lot of the small groups are reading through scripture the, with the, the books where it's, you know, the verses have been re- uh, taken out so it's more like reading just a story. Uh, but there's another way too and that's Wednesday night, Andrew's leading a Bible study down here at the church at 6 30, right, Andrew, uh, going through the minor prophets, and, and I know this about Andrew. He's a good disputer, okay, and he's also really smart. I mean, Andrew knows a lot about, a lot about scripture, so, so come on Wednesday night and just fire questions at him, okay? See if you can undo them, and, uh, uh, and Jesus in you will, will reveal stuff to Andrew, and Jesus in Andrew will reveal stuff to you, and Jesus in all of us will reveal himself to each of us and help us to keep walking. In other words, there was one other thing I had to say. Oh, yeah, it's not a big deal, but this is the start of a new series. And we ended Ephesians, you know, which is 43 weeks long, and I wanted to talk about reading the Bible, and we're going to do a, a thing like Jesus stories. That will allow me to pick out stories that I like and, and preach them, okay? So anyway, that's what we're doing next. So anyway, um, in Jesus' name, believe the gospel. Amen. Oh, and prayer teams down front. Have a great, have a great week. <laughs>